0: Hey, crack fans. One location with our friends at Swing Vision. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, July 24th. That was a very Very good weekend of tennis for all of us to enjoy. Of course, it always helps when you have four events on the calendar. We were treated to a spectacular week of tennis at the ATP 500 in Hamburg. And of course, on today's show, I have to talk about the maiden title run of Lorenzo Musetti. The young Italian continues his ascension on the ATP Tour. A dramatic three-set victory for him today over Carlos Alcaraz. Of course, Musetti has already had pronounced amounts of success on Tour. particularly on clay courts for someone his age. All of us remember the fact that he was up two sets to love in the Roland Garros round of 16 last season against Novak Djokovic. Ultimately, wasn't able to close that match out. Nevertheless, he's shown flashes of brilliance throughout the course of his young career. This week in Hamburg, he was excellent from start to finish, already showing he's improved some of the things that hampered him. Down the home stretch of 2021 at the start of this season as well. Of course, again, it always helps for him to be competing on a clay court. I'll explain why on today's show with some numbers via our friends at Tennis Abstract. But Musetti flashed excellent this week in Hamburg. Not good play, not great play excellence. And to beat Carlos Alcaraz on a clay court, you have to be excellent. He was. I'll explain how throughout the course of today's show. Of course, put a finishing bow on Carlos Alcaraz's week. Talk a little Molchan, Chan from the semifinals as well. Fantastic week of action in Hamburg, not just on the men's side, but on the women's side as well. Is there any player on tour, men's or women's, hotter right now than Bernardo Pera? Not if you look at the win streaks. Bernarda Pera, now 12 consecutive victories. She's won each of those matches in straight sets. She cruises to a second consecutive title. This week in Hamburg was dominant all week long, particularly in that final against Annette Conteve. She's just swinging so freely, playing so comfortably, and for the lefty who had fallen out of the top 100 earlier this season, now up to a new career high in the WTA rankings. I want to talk about if she's able to sustain this level, how high is that ceiling? How much further can Bernarda Pera ascend? Certainly a straight set victory over Annette Conteve offers us some insight into that question, but I want to offer my extended take on the ceiling of Bernarda of moving forward, of course, that was just the action in Hamburg. You also had the 250 in Stad, which arguably had the best match of championship weekend. Casper Ruud, three-set victory over Matteo Berrettini. Now, Berrettini's not currently in the ATP top 10. I think all of us pejoratively consider him a top 10 player. I have had many conversations here in Los Angeles over the past 10 days, both with people in Tennis Channel studio, people who are from my past life and often in that past life, the reason I know them so well is I met them on a tennis court at some point. Uh, I've been, as I like to call it, feel, doing some field work, poll testing the field, offering, getting the opinions of different people who aren't always in our cracked rackets bubble about some of the things that have been percolating on my mind. One of them, and we're going to do this podcast. I continue to promise it to you listeners. I think this is the week it's going to happen. I want to do a new Next Gen Tears podcast where we break down all these Next Gen talents. And For me, the Next Gen starts in or later on the men's side because the next gen marketing campaign was based first off of those players born 1996. Chorich, Medvedev, you know Hyeon Chung, etc., and onwards. Now a player born in 1996 turns 26 this year. They're not exactly next gen. It's time for their prime to begin. But you know, 26 years old, you probably say you're at the end of the beginning, or you're smack dab now starting the center of your prime. And so as we begin those primes, I want to take stock quickly and just talk about where things stand. Who are the tier one Guys, the players we think are locks to win grand slams over the next decade. Who are the tier two guys? Maybe not locks, but you know they're going to be in quarterfinals, beat the non top 20 players that they face over the course of the next five to 10 years. And, you know, who are the guys beyond that? Tier three, where you have more question marks. Tier four, where you just know they're going to be in the mixed, you know, top 50 playing all the big events by virtue of that. Maybe you'll see them in a quarterfinal here or there. There are a lot of players born 1996 or later breaking through from you know, obviously Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, the guys at the front of that generation to the Musetti's, the Alcarazes, the Sinners, the Holgarunas, etc. A lot of players for us to discuss. We're going to do that this week. I apologize. Early tangent for you here on a Sunday podcast shows you how excited I am for another week here in Santa Monica. Uh, But again, the big takeaway and the reason I brought up that entire tangent is that Matteo Bertini may not be ranked in the ATP top 10 right now. I think he's the standard bearer, the flag bearer of tier two and what that represents. Matteo Berrettini beats everyone he's supposed to beat. And I'd argue he might be the most sure thing on the ATP tour outside of Nadal and Djokovic. His serve, which he holds 89.4% of the time, his forehand, his ability to find that plus one forehand. It doesn't matter who you are as an opponent. His ability to execute that, you just know what you're, you know, the delta between his floor and ceiling of performance, match in, match out, is about as narrow as you're going to find on the ATP Tour. As such, all of this is to say, he may not be currently top 10 in the rankings. I think we all view him as a top 10 guy, and, you know, he was facing another top 10 guy in 2022. French Open finalist, Casper Rude. Rude, the champion in Stad last year, into the winner's circle again this year as he knocks off Berrettini and what was a fantastic three-set match. Of course, you also had the action in Palermo Arena. Camilla Bagu uh, earning a much-needed title for her heading into the hard court summer. Bagu was excellent all tournament long, and you know I I referred to her as. I don't want to say a poor man's Carolina Pliskova. Maybe a diet Carolina Pliskova. Just not as big of a server. You know, again, 0. .6 0. .75. I'd say Pliskova 0. .82. Uh, it's just the way they both strike the ball from the ground. How much power they're able to produce on their ground strokes. Now, Begu may not have the serve of Pliskova, but she's probably a better mover. More fluid in the outer thirds of the court than Pliskova. And, look, Begu is excellent. Again, all week long on her way to the title. I want to talk about how she got there. What position she now put herself in as we look towards the hard court summer. All of that on today's show, of course, as we put a bow on what was another exciting week in the professional tennis world. I will mention, I didn't mean, I didn't talk, I should say, about Ebing Bing Wu, who is now, what, 30 and 4 overall in the year, wins another challenger title, this time in Indianapolis. We'll put a p- final bow on the Indianapolis challenger later this week. I'll bring on either Damian Kuhs, David Gertler to talk about it, maybe even speak with finalist Alexander Kovac as well, at some point, all of that in schedule again for all of you on our Crack Rackets podcast this week. You can find all of them on our website, CrackRackets.com, or download uh, or listen to them. Excuse me, this podcast, Cracked Interviews podcast, our Great Shot podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast feeds. Of course, a massive thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to tune in. A massive thank you to our friends at Tennis Point as well, who have been providing the best equipment at the at lowest prices to tennis players everywhere for a generation now and they'll continue to do so and we are so proud to be partnered with them as again uh they really do have anything you're looking for rackets strings shoes clothing you name it they've got it of course if you go to their website tennis-point.com right now you'll inevitably make a purchase and when you do use our promo code cr15 not only will you let them know we sent you there you'll get 15 percent off all sale items free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars best of all a free can of wilson extra duty tennis balls tennis Tennis-Point, simple, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's start with the ATP action in Hamburg. The most mesmerizing match of the weekend belonged to Lorenzo Musetti and Carlos Alcarez. And ultimately, it was the 20-year-old Musetti who earns a 6-4, 6-7, 6-4 victory to knock off the talented young Spaniard. Of course, what a week for Lorenzo Musetti start. it started off against Dusan Majovic and you know having been on the call for that match for our friends at T2 and I apologize at the start if any of you listeners hear a humming in the background I tried to turn off the AC unit for the course of this podcast it continues to hum so I apologize for that fact if it's unbearable I'll figure out a way to record elsewhere throughout the course of the rest of the week but you know who didn't need to figure who figured things out all week long didn't have to change locations just continued to find success wherever he was that was lorenzo musetti who drops his opening set of the tournament against dusan laevic 7-6 and you know from there wins nine consecutive sets and had a match point to make it 10 consecutive uh, against carlos alcaraz in the final had three match points as a matter of fact and you know what was so impressive about lorenzo musetti today is how well he picked his spots i mean he only made 59.6% of his first serves, but he was going after the first serve in a way you're just not accustomed to seeing from the young Italian. And you look for him, the Achilles heel for him throughout his career has been that serve. He holds 75.8% of the time in his career in ATP tour matches. The average hold percentage of a top 50 player right now is 82.2%, a 7% delta is, you know, from the average top 50 player, it's going to be hard for you to compete in an era where finding free points, making things easy for yourself, serves and plus one tennis, you know, that's the name of the game. And, you know, for Lorenzo Musetti in today's match against Carlos Alcaraz, and really all week long, he flashed an ability to be elite behind his first serve. And today against Alcaraz, it was how well, not only was he hitting the kick serve out wide on the ad side to set up the plus one forehand, which in my opinion was the biggest difference for Musetti. It wasn't just the serve, it was the plus one forehand. And in particular, how well he hit the ball inside out all week long. His ability to open up space for himself with that inside out forehand multiple times in this match. He'd hit the kick serve out wide to Carlos Alcaraz, who'd be seven feet behind the baseline. And then, you know, Alcaraz is on the full sprint as he tries to recover. Musetti hits the inside out forehand. And even if Alcaraz was able to track that ball down, he's still in a defensive position on his back foot. And, you know, Musetti's moving forward behind that ball, following the inside out with an inside in combination, taking the one handed backhand down the line, playing the drop shots, following the ball forward. Again, Musetti flashed all the tools throughout the course of this match and set himself up, was up, you know, a set and a break. And he, uh, again, served for the match up, what, 7, 6, 5, 4, whatever the score was, 6, 4, excuse me, 5, 4 in that first set and uh, in that second set, excuse me. And, you know, on multiple, multiple match points, Alcaraz turns to the combination he goes best, drop shot forehand passing shot combination and at 1540 the drop shot on the run forehand cross court ripping passing shot he hit by Musetti to fight off that match point I mean that's just special that's why Carlos Alcarez I say it obviously in jest but that's why he's still alive in the goat conversations because he can flash at 19 years old ability to do that and to be you know done you know first of all they start the tiebreaker. You know, Alcaraz gets the break back. uh, Obviously he's able to dip some, his first passing shot, his ability to dip that ball low at the feet at Musetti and just force Musetti to pop up that first volley. So that guarantees Alcaraz a look at a second passing shot. You just can't give Carlos Alcaraz two looks at passing shots because if you do, you're in trouble. Um, He's going to pass you at least on one of those two. And, you know, Then on point number one of the tiebreaker, the net court drop shot that Elkarez somehow tracks down and flicks with a little backhand scoop cross-court short angle that, like, three people in the world can do. He's one of those athletes who can, and he takes a 1-0 lead, has all of this momentum, and then finds himself down 6-3. And what does he do? Down 6-3 in the breaker, lands two returns deep into the court, lands a big first serve, follows it up with a plus-one forehand, plus-one drop shot. Just— So steady, under pressure, so confident in his plays. And then, you know, a a Musetti double fault. All of a sudden, Carlos Alcarez has a 7-6 second set. All of a sudden, he's back in the match. The crowd is on their feet, going nuts. The environment's incredible. You can feel it through the screen as you're watching. Alcarez has all the momentum on his side. And what does Musetti do? Calmly reestablishes his tempo, and gets himself back in control of the match. And again, that's where Lorenzo Musetti was just exceptional throughout the course of the day. He stuck to his guns. Yes, he only made 60% of his first serves. He won 78% of those first serve points, 52.5% of his second serve points. Alcaraz was only able to break him twice in a three-set match. Carlos Alcaraz is breaking, you know, 34.2% of the time this season. He's above prime Rafael Nadal in terms of his break percentage this season. And he only broke Musetti twice. Musetti, who, again, statistically does not have the biggest or best of serves. And it's just because Musetti had Alcaraz on a string. Again, inside-out forehand, inside-in forehand, down-the-line backhand, short-angle backhand, the drop shots, the flicks. Alcaraz was sometimes tentative moving forward because Musetti's that sort of athlete. On the clay court where he's going to track the ball down. He's going to land a passing shot at your feet and, you know, get a second look at a pass where he's definitely going to pass you as well. That backhand he played so smart with today. And, you know, on a clay court, you can get away with it where – He was 12 feet behind the baseline, waiting for that ball to drop back to his waist level, but then he's able to generate such torque, such elevation, such depth and action on that one-handed backhand that Alcaraz isn't able to cheat forward, or Alcaraz isn't able to sneak in behind that ball, because if you sneak in, Musetti's going to pass you. It's just this combination of athleticism, fluidity creativity. It's special. You know it when you see it. And there are times when it works against him because you're giving yourself thin margins when you're trying to pull off the spectacular all the time. And that is what Lorenzo Musetti tries to do at times. He tries to pull off the spectacular, particularly on the quicker surfaces where he doesn't have as much time to hit the forehand. It's a little bit more difficult for him to find that inside-out ball that he found so well on these high-bouncing, slower clay courts. But with how aggressively he served today, how willing he was to move forward. You know, the fact that his forehand was able to have handled the heaviness of the Carlos Alcaraz shot, the backhand look exceptional. He's just gotten better. He clearly has. He's more comfortable being the aggressor, not relying on those defensive skills, that athleticism all of the time. And you look for Musetti now 26 and 17 overall in 2022. Really got his season back on track during the Clay Court stretch. The only match where he, you know, he wins three court matches or more at every match during the Clay Court stretch, except Roland Garros, where he was coming off of injury and still was up two sets to love on CT Pass in his first round match. Yes, he loses three straight matches at, you know, on the grass courts and loses his first match in Bostad uh, to Laszlo Jür. He bounced back in a big way this week. Again, reaches his first ATP final, reaches wins his first ATP title in Hamburg. You look for him now. He's 45-42 and 42 overall in his career at the ATP level. 29-16 and 16 is Musetti on clay courts 29 and 16 it's a 64% win percentage he breaks 29.7% of the time which would be a top 15 number on clay courts amongst top 50 players and of course on a clay court again he has that much more time to stand 6 to 12 feet behind the baseline take big cuts on both the forehand the backhand return his ball does explode through the court he's such a fluid mover on this surface 29 and 16 in his career on clay uh, at the ATP level 36 and 21 in his career at the challenger level. I mean, again, this guy's a top 25 guy on clay courts and flashes the ability to be even better than that moving forward as well. I mean, again, he beats Carlos Alcaraz on clay. Here's the list of guys who did that this year. Zverev, Korda, Musetti. That's your list. Zverev, Korda, Musetti. The only guys to beat Carlos Alcaraz this season, who, by the way, he's 39-6. and He's played 45 matches this year. He hasn't lost a straight set match all year long. He's won at least one set in every match that he's played. He was down five match points today and he fought off five of them, you know, before that 6-1 got to him, uh ultimately 6-4 in the third and I thought all week long at Hamburg and I talked about this last week. Alcaraz did not play his best tennis. Yes, numbers-wise he landed over 70% of his first serves, but there just wasn't a lot of sting on that serve. He sprayed his plus one ball. Yeah, I thought he hit the backhand fine, but I thought it was the forehand. Just felt like it landed a little short in the court. It felt like it just wasn't quite as explosive as it was earlier in the season, and – look, I mean, again, he found ways to survive. He went back to his combinations. I thought he was way too hesitant in playing the drop shot in set number one against Musetti, way too respectful of Musetti's speed. And then he got back to it in set number two and said, wait, I'm Carlos Alcaraz. My execution on the plus one forehand drop shot combination is just better than everyone else. And, you know, then it became the improvisational skills. He hits that ridiculous on the run, little short backhand flick and, you know, turns to the drop shot again on three different match points that he faces. He, uses the drop shot to fight him off came up with a ridiculous plus one backhand down the line forehand down the line as well just that Alcaraz, Alcaraz. he's 39 and 6 this year oh no he lost in a final to Musetti still lost it in three sets he still won 87 percent of his matches he's still second in the points race he's still at a career high number five in the live rankings guys a stud He's not a limit from the greatest of all time debate, but credit to Lorenzo Musetti, who's just put himself back in that conversation, back in the mix. And yeah, he's got to prove it on the, the quicker hard courts over the course of the next few months. But guess what? With this run to the title, Lorenzo Musetti up to a new career high in the rankings. You look for Musetti now. He's all the way up to number 31 in the live rankings for the twenty year old. He he now gets in to everything he wants to play this summer. Doesn't have to worry about qualifying anymore. He'll play Cincinnati. He'll play Canada. He could be seated at the US Open. And you know, again, if he wants to play the City Open or I guess not Atlanta because that's this week, but all of these events he doesn't have to worry about qualifying anymore. He's just in the ball game now and again will be able to play a full complement of tour level events. Be able to play Indian Wells, Miami, all of these different things which at twenty years old, even if you're not having success. You just need to have the matches under your belt. You need to gain those experiences. And the first time he got those experiences over the past year, it's been rough for him. Again, you look for Lorenzo Musetti, who I mentioned 45 and 42 overall at the ATP level, 23 and 27 in his last 52 weeks. He's 16 and 22 for his career on hard courts, 0 and 4 on grass courts. There's work to be done. His break percentage dips 13%. Between clay courts and hard courts, he breaks serve twenty nine point seven percent of the time, seven percent of the time. Excuse me, on clay courts, sixteen point five percent on hard courts. That's the difference between being, you know, I guess who has. Let me let me give you a better comparison here. I didn't want to speak incorrectly. That's the difference between being Rafael Nadal as a returner, who's at thirty point three percent, or Alex Diemenauer who's at twenty eight point two, and you know Matteo Berrettini who's at 16.4, or Denis Shapovalov, who's at 15.6. That's a massive difference, obviously, and Lorenzo Musetti isn't a server like Berrettini is, like Shapovalov is, where they can afford to be more aggressive on the the return of serve. He needs to work his way into points. He needs to be comfortable on that return of serve, and it's really the forehand, not the one-handed backhand, that his backswing suffers more on the quicker surfaces, but He's a rock on the clay courts, and again, he's earned himself another shot at all of these big events on the hard court schedule over the next nine months, really, end of this year, start of next year, and that's where you want to be if you're Lorenzo Musetti. So expect to see more of him, obviously. We're going to see more of Carlos Alcaraz as well, who, again, second in the points race. It's crazy. Alcaraz, Musetti can both play the next-gen finals this year. And like Alcaraz isn't going to because he's two in the points race and he'll play the ATP tour finals. But what a remarkable week of tennis uh, in Hamburg. Certainly the semifinals were fun as well. Ale- uh, Carlos Alcaraz was up from the start, but Alex Molchan just fights. And you look again for the 24-year-old Slovakian, currently number 38 in the live rankings. That's a career high. Molchan also in the points race, currently 33rd. A lot of his successes come on the clay courts. Two ATP, 250 finals three ATP 250 finals, excuse me if you count last year as well, plus now this 500 semifinal run. The lefty is just physical and can hit all the angles. It doesn't overwhelm you with any weapon, but hits better depth on all of his ground strokes than you expect. He's just going to be in the mix. You're going to see him round of 16s, quarterfinals in Monte Carlo, Rome, and Barcelona, all these events moving forward. Uh, The guy's just rock solid, hits his spots well, moves the ball well around the court, moves well around the court as well. I'm fascinated to see him Play these higher level hardcore events, how his game holds up on the quicker surface, because I think it'll hold up well. Uh, again, it's not like he has the biggest ground strokes or takes these big cuts at the ball. So I'm fascinated to see how it works moving forward. We'll keep an eye on Mulchan throughout the course of the hardcore summer. And then, look, it was going to end for Francisco Surrendalo eventually, but. You know, was down, what, 6-3, and I think it oh, was down 5 love in the first set to Musetti. Ends up being a 6-3 set. Played him extraordinarily close. It was down match point, right? 6-3, 5-4. Musetti tries the underhand serve. Sarandolo ends up hitting a passing shot and winning the point. Breaks back. It goes to a breaker, but uh, it was all ultimately working for Musetti, who still showed some of those puzzling choices, but got away with it, I suppose, this week in uh, Miami. That said, you look for Sarandolo. What a two-week run, ultimately, now uh, up to a new career high in the rankings as well as Surundalo, currently number 24 in the live rankings, 18th in the points raise. Let's see. With 1,300 points, he's 1,000 points. uh, Or 700 points, I suppose, behind eighth place Taylor Fritz. Interesting. Interesting. Something to certainly keep an eye on. He's not going to make the finals of the points race. At pro- or he's not going to make the ATP two or finals, but he's not completely out of it yet, but he is kind of out of it at this point. That said, two guys who certainly we expect to see in the ATP points race moving forward are who I want to talk about ATP points race, excuse me, race to the year-end finals. I got so excited. I got a little too quick there. I apologize. Leave it all in, Super Producer Daniel Westoff But let's move to that aforementioned in the in trope. Hypothetical top 10 battle we had in the final in Stad between Casper Ruud and Matteo Berrettini. Ultimately, it was the 2022 French Open finalist Ruud who escapes with a 4-6, 7-6, 6-2 victory. And yeah, I say escape because Berrettini had his chances. Casper Ruud drops the first set 6-4. Only one break of serve. Pretty clean tennis. You know, Casper Ruud misfires on a plus one for inside-out forehand hand on break point that gives Berrettini the break. He had... Be- grown to just anticipate that Casper was going to hit the kick serve. Casper was going to target the backhand and Berrettini found the timing and was able to take that backhand on the rise early, hit that ball deep enough, cross court enough that it was just a little bit more difficult for Rude to manufacture that plus one inside out forehand. And he gets the break and he takes the opening set. Clean serving, big serving, big forehand, six, you know, six, four opening set. One all 15, 40 second set. Berrettini has double break points to go up an early set and a break. First, first break point, 15-40, is where he really had his chance. Good depth on the return, has a really clean look at a backhand slice, just tries to get a little too cute with it, misses it just wide. 30-40, big serve, big plus one forehand, backhand slice sent long, but that was just good. That was a forced error out of Kasper Rude. Casper then comes up with a couple of big first serves. He holds for 2-1. For 30-40, second set. Here's what I love about Casperud. Here's where I think he won the match. For all 30-40 again. second set, he had been behind, hadn't been able to create many breakpoint chances for himself, if any. To that point of the match, what does Casperud ultimately do in that 30-40 point? Doesn't go with the expected kick serve out wide. Doesn't target the Berrettini backhand as he did on the first two breakpoints, again, back at one all 15-40 and 30-40. What Casperud does, it goes with the big T-serve and goes to that Berrettini Forehand. Berrettini obviously not expecting him to serve to that forehand. Gets the ball back onto the court, but it's a much cleaner plus one look for Casper, who hits it big down the line, and for a winner uh, to that Berrettini backhand that's maturity. That's mixing up your spots. That's trusting that your best is better than his best in the biggest moment because the highest percentage play, of course, is to serve the Matteo Berrettini backhand. He's going to slice that backhand, return back. Maybe he'll come over it, but he's not going to connect on a rip backhand down the line return winner. You feel like you're going to have options if you can find the Berrettini backhand on serve. That said, again, Berrettini had been reading that Kasparud backhand serve so well, and Kasparud had gone to that backhand over and over and over again. And in a big moment, Kasparud decided to do something else. He decided to be unpredictable. And I mentioned this on the podcast last week. I think one of his takeaways from that Rafa match is look, I can't just keep hitting the kick serve over and over again. I got to be able to mix up my spots, in particular, ad side T. You know, I may not hit an ace ad side T, but I'm certainly going to get a cleaner look at a plus one forehand because it's a little harder for them to rip the ball anywhere if they're that far stretched and that was the case he got a clean look at a plus one you know forehand down the line and just you know was able to execute it fight off the break point and then you know gets down 1-0 on a mini break uh early in the breaker but connects on a couple of returns seven four second set and right all of a sudden he's back in the match and look i don't think berrettini played well this week I, I thought he had pockets of excellence. I thought he, his first set against Dominic Team was dominant, certainly his serve, his plus one forehand. But look, Bertini hadn't played a tournament in a month. And you could tell just physically, some of the steps were off. And he wasn't hitting his backhand quite as cleanly he, as he was, you know, at the start of the tournament as he was towards the end. But you could just tell physically in the third set, you know, Berrettini was a little bit worn down. You know, he didn't quite have his legs under him at the end. And look, Casper made him pay for that fact. And ultimately, was able to find that backhand corner, moved his forehand so well around the court, did a great job absorbing the first strike of Matteo Berrettini. Casper played like the top 10, top five guy. He may just be on clay courts. And You look for Casper Rude now, again, overall 61-21 and 21 in his last 52 weeks, 35-13 and 13 this year. He's winning 73% of his matches at the biggest tournaments at the biggest levels and you know again for him now you look overall this season on the clay courts just another ho humming 25 and 7 clay court season for him you look for him now over the last 2 years Rude, 53 and 12 on clay courts over us you know over a two season stretch, you know, Rafa has skewed what we hold for the standard of exceptional on clay courts, but you win 80% of your clay court matches over a 50 match sample size at the biggest event over a two year stretch. That's elite. That's what elite looks like. And that's what Kasparud is not only on this surface, but you know, again, in general. Now, is he a tier one, tier two guy? is he I put him tier two some conversations I've been having in my field work some people put him tier three I disagree with that and there was this notion or this clip going around tennis twitter this idea that Casper Rude's a pusher does anyone think he's a push like with how aggressively he hits his forehand how well he moves the ball around the court yeah he grinds on the backhand depth Placement, precision, opening up the court for his forehand. That's the purpose of that backhand wing. But with the slice he plays, how well he moves forward, he's a top 15 surfer on the ATP tour. In what world is Kasparu a push? Like, that forehand is a weapon. If you view him as a push, you're just not watching closely. Now, the truth is, I don't think anyone calls him a push. I think that was one of those manufactured things where. Not that someone in the press had asked a bad question, because I don't think that is a bad question. I just don't think it's a question based in truth. And so, you know, again, with that theory, I suppose, in mind, no, I don't think he's a push. I think he's just exceptional. And you look for Kasparud again. He's been ridiculous uh, here this season, 35 and 13. And now he's a 92 and 20 overall, 92 and 20 since the start of last season. I mean, come on now. That's ridiculous, and that's why he is a top ten player. And with his title now, Casper up to number or stays at top ten. He's number six in the rankings, fourth in the points race. Uh, there's a nice delta between he and fifth place Alex Zverev. He leads Zverev by 615 points in that points race. He's going to be at the year-end finals folks he hasn't quite clinched it but barring disaster down the hope stretch of the season again this is your 2022 miami finalist he's made quarterfinals at further at what like the last six masters 1000 events caspar not going anywhere really impressive week of tennis from him i thought Matteo Berrettini again back to my sure thing argument he didn't even play well and yet he served in big forehand his way to another final you look for him 21 and 7 overall here in 2022 since coming back from injury post Indian Wells he's what he'd won nine straight he's 12 and 1 uh since the start of June now He is 0-5 against top 10 players this season, and you look for Cas for Matteo Berrettini overall in his career, 7-18 against the top 10. His you know last top 10 win came against Dominic Team at ATP Cup at the start of 2021. Now there are a lot of losses to Djokovic uh, in that stretch of time, and you know again Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, etc. But those are your top 10 players, and while while Casper, you know again Berrettini's his serve, his forehand, they're elite. They're, they're good enough to where if you can't do something elite back or something to take that away, he's going to beat you. But obviously all of these top 10 guys can do something to take them away or do have their own serve, their own plus one forehands that can match his firepower. That's why he's tier two. This record seven and eighteen against the top 10, 0 and five in his last five shots. He's really good against the, you know, again against non-top twenty-one players over these past players outside the top twenty. He's fifty-four and eight over the past two seasons, fifty-four and eight against players outside the top twenty. He is no lower than tier two. But against the tier one guys, he struggles. And you look for him over the last two seasons. Again, against top ten players, he was one in seven this year, zero in three this uh, one in seven last year, zero in three this year, one in ten overall. That sounds like you know again numbers like those. You're tier two. And that's not meant to be disrespectful. I think a Tier 2 guy can absolutely win a Grand Slam. I think Tier 2 guys, you feel really comfortable about that they're going to be in the mix at the big events. And Matteo Berrettini is always in the round of 16, in the quarterfinals. And it may pay dividends for him, particularly on a surface like Wimbledon, where when he's serving well, he's just lights out. We just saw Kyrgios do it this year we saw Berrettini do it in 2021. That big serving, move forward, decisive game style is always going to work on a grass court. Can he? Is he tier one on other surfaces though? that's the question and it's something I want to discuss on our tier pods later this week in depth but again Berrettini into the finals in Stad uh, with the result Berrettini up to 12th in the points raised nice boost for his rankings as well back up to number 14 I mean again I think he's a top 10 player although there's not a lot of space in the ATP top 10 right now that said semifinalist Albert ramos Fanolas, I mean Look, Ramos-Vinolas is going to Ramos-Vinolas, right? He's made 12 ATP quarterfinals since the start of 2021 alone on clay courts, and you look for him now with this semifinal in Stad in terms of, again, semifinal. It's his fourth semifinal of the year. Uh, All of them have come on clay courts. You look for him, you know, last season he made five semifinals. All of them came on clay courts. If there is any clay court specialist on the ATP tour, Albert Ramos-Vinolas would probably, you know, in, in the glossary, I should say on the ATP tour media de- deck that you look up clay court specialists and you see those you know those massive I, I should say those piercing eyes of Albert Ramos vanilla staring back at you in that definition of clay court specialist and then look Dominic Team wasn't quite ready for the serve the plus one forehand of Matteo Berrettini I thought his legs were a little bit dead as well he's put a lot of tennis over the last two weeks you know, he just didn't serve confidently enough. I thought his steps were a little off on the plus one forehand. He just came out of the gate so slow against Berrettini, and you just can't afford to do that because if you're chasing Berrettini, you know, he's hitting the serve that much bigger. He's hitting the plus one forehand that much more comfortably. And so, uh, still, Dominic Team looking closer and closer to the form we saw him in back in 2020 with his runnings back into the top 200, 199 in the live rankings. I think we all know he'll be a top 100 player again. Will he ever reach the top 10 again? Certainly that's a question we have pondered here at Crack Rackets and we'll continue to ponder moving forward. But speaking of looking like a top 10 player, that's what Bernie P has done on the WTA tour over the past two weeks. Of course, I'm referring to Bernarda Pera, your 2022 Hamburg WTA champion. And with that in mind, let's switch gears now. Talk about Bernie P as the 27-year-old rips off her 12th consecutive victory. Won seven wins coming through qualifying to win the title last week in Budapest. This week, again, does not drop a set on her way to the title in Hamburg. Of course, we've talked a lot about Bernarda Pera over the past few weeks. But did you watch her play against Annette Conteve? Made 73% of her first serves, won 71% of those first serve points, won 60% of her second serve points, fought off three of the four break points that she faced. I've never seen Bernardo Pera swing this confidently. And I have always been team Bernardo Pera. I think if you've listened to this podcast, you know, I've always said, I don't get why the 27 year old who coming into the season had a career high of number 59, but it always floated between that seven, you know, that 90 to 60, 60 to 90, I should say in the rankings where, you know, she got into the big events, but usually it was with qualifying or she'd, you know, win a first round match, maybe even a second round match at a slam, or she'd get to the second round, but play a seed and play her close, but losing three sets. I thought the lefty always moved the ball well around the court. I've always had faith in the depth she's able to generate on her two-handed backhand, and just the slice, and the angle, and the variety she can play with. She's got a little bit more pop on that forehand than you'd expect, and yet, you know, again, for some reason, it just hadn't clicked fully for Bernardo Pera in the way it has these past two weeks, where Maybe it was just that she felt like she had nothing left to lose. You look for the 27-year-old who, again, had fallen out of the top 100 for the first time in, like, four years. After doing that, you know, falling outside the top 120 even, she rips off 12 in a row, and now Bernardo pairs at a new career high of number 54 in the live rankings. And you look for Bernardo Perez, she's 43rd in the points race this season. She's now been a top 50 player based off her results these past two weeks. And it starts with the serve, you know, how well she's spreading the court with her serve, whether it's the slice out wide on the ad side, followed by the plus one forehand to literally any target on the court, whether it's, you know, her ability to jam you with the body, play the plus one forehand inside out, how well she does drive her two handed backhand down the line. She's just been exceptional, absolutely expe- exceptional. Again, against Marina Zinevska in the semifinals, Zinevska just didn't have the weapons to hurt her. And everything was on Para's terms from the start. And she faced one break point in the match against Zinevska, and as such was just swinging freely as a returner. And then again, against Annette Conteve, Conteve's weapons didn't face her. And as good as Conteve was at moving that backhand around the court, Para would take that her own back, you know, when. Conteve, who plays a really good pattern of backhand down the line to try and open up the court against the lefty, para beat her to the spot, rip that ball cross court, or rip the ball down the line behind her, and again was just swinging so freely. And you look now, you know, it's Iga Sviantek. And I believe that's it. And, and Bernardo Pera, that's your list of players who have won multiple – or who have won back-to-back titles this week on the WTA Tour. Uh, I guess I don't count Ashley Barty because she didn't – I know she didn't play that second week in Australia. Technically, she won back-to-back. I'm not going to count that. But, yeah, looking at the list, who are the players who have won back-to-back weeks? It's Iga Sviantek who did it in Miami and in Indian Wells, and that's it. Those are your only players to win back to back weeks. Uh, and and I guess again, Iga technically did it two out of three weeks again, but that's it. Oh, and Beatrice Haddad Maya, duh, on the grass courts. Shout out to you, Alex. Good memory. Um Haddad Maya, Iga Shviantek, Bernardo Pera. It's a fun list of names to be on, certainly, if you're the 27-year-old American. And, you know, again, up to new career-high ranking, number 54 in the live rankings, everything's just open to her now. She's certainly going to – and it's still a little vomit zoning because will she have to play qualifying at Cincinnati in Canada? Maybe. Um, But, you know, she could go play San Jose, uh, which might just be this – no, I don't think it's this week. I think it's next week. Yeah, she can go play San Jose or she can go play – You know Cleveland and go play Chicago and go play all these different events coming up on this North American hardcourt summer and get into them comfortably, not have to play qualifying there, not have to worry about getting into some of the slams next season. She'll get into Australia winning back-to-back weeks of the WTA Tour. She'll get into the French Open as well. Things may get sticky at Wimbledon if she goes on a massive losing streak, but again, on this run of success, You know, the next year is guaranteed for Bernardo Pera. Now she can continue to swing freely, play that much more aggressively. And the question I pondered at the start of this podcast, what is her upside? How much further does she go from here? She doesn't exactly have overwhelming weapons, but she doesn't have an overwhelming weakness either, particularly when she's swinging this freely. Now, when she was playing poorly, the first serve wasn't landing as much. And as such, she wasn't as confident playing big on the first shot. That's not the case right now. I mean, again, it's been a completely different Bernard pair these past two weeks who structurally does not have many weaknesses. She can do a lot of things on the court, doesn't overwhelm you with her power, but can spread the court extraordinarily well. I mean overwhelming power might beat her, but again, this week and over these past two weeks, players like Kantve and Zenevska and you know, Bandar and Sasnovich, Kochireto, if they haven't had overwhelming weapons, the errors haven't been there. Like she just is not beating herself and she's working these opponents down and again something has clearly clicked uh, physically, I've been immensely impressed by everything Bernie P has done. And again, she's played herself back into the conversation. Now, shout out uh, to Annette Contave who reaches her first final since the end of February and again, looked unbelievable in her win over Potapova, which we talked about last week for Contave now with this run. She's back in the mix for the year-end final, certainly at 12th right now in the year-end ranking she gets to, with this final run, keep her spot at number two in the WTA rankings as well. Look, we talked about the semifinals last week, uh, so if you want to hear more on the run of Potopova and Zenevska, who I thought had exceptional weeks, be sure to go check that out. Fernet Contave. Played five matches in a week again for the first time since the end of February. Was moving extraordinarily well against Potapova. Definitely seemed to have dead legs a bit against Bernardo Pera, but almost had a second win there at the end of the match. And certainly just, I thought it had more to do with Pera swinging as freely as she was on the return of serve than anything that Conteve did poorly. Pera played well. Conteve didn't play particularly bad now. Some of the fact she's not able to always manufacture free points for herself and a winning Conteve does have to be a particularly physical Conteve. Is that a structurally structural disadvantage for her against players like the Svianteks or Rabacinas or Sabalenkas or you know, Pliskovas of the world who really just need to get hot? Or even some of the lower ranked power hitters like a Samsonova or just, again, any of these players who seem to get hot and knock off Conteve in the second or third rounds of some of these big events. Answer that question still might be yes. But, you know, again, I want to do a WTA tiers equivalent as well, because we know Iga Svantec a tier one player. Who are the tier two? Who are the Barrettinis of the WTA tour right now? The players you just think are the sure things to beat the lower ranked players than themselves and be in the mix at the later stages of events. Certainly, you know, again, there are players with claims. I think Jabour has to be considered a Tier 2 player right now, particularly coming out of the grass court season and the success she's had on clay hard courts as well. But, like, Sakari, Contave. Sapalanka, Bedosa, Pagula, like are they locks to be tier two? This sounds like the perfect conversation to have with one David Kane. And we will have that hopefully over the course of the next week as well. With that said, to put a final bow on last week's action, let's move over now to what we saw unfold in Palermo. And look, I'm buying me some stock. Not a ton of stock because, you know, again, at 31 years old, I don't know. How much longer the prime of Irina Camilla Begu will be extended, but Bagu is excellent on her run to the title in Palermo, her first WTA title uh, since Bucharest back in 2017. And she was just striking the ball so cleanly all week long. And for the 31-year-old Bagu, who earned a three-set win over Saribas Tormo in the semifinals, a straight-set win over Bronzetti in the final as well, one and three over Diane Perry, the talented youngster in the quarters, she just was so disciplined, so steady, swung so well in the corners, and I love her backhand, I love the line drive depth she's able to create, I just love the fact of how high percentage she was with the first serve, and hitting Bronzetti cleanly off the court, I mean, again, Cerebas, Tormo, Bronzetti were grinding Bagu down, they were trying to work her physically, trying to move her to the outer thirds of the court, but any time they left something short, Beg you made him pay. And whether it was the drive on the backhand down the line, the drive on the forehand cross, just everything she was doing. I was so uh thoroughly impressed uh with her run of success. And you know, by the way, credit to Lucia Bronzetti, the twenty four uh soon excuse me, the twenty three year old was seventy-eight in the world uh coming into the event. You look for Bronzetti who's forty fourth in the points race, sixty fifth now in the live rankings. That's where you want to be at twenty four years old. You get to play the big events, even if you have to go through qualifying in some of them. Bronzetti was excellent in a three-set victory comeback from a love six first set against Jasmine Paolini and, you know, for Bronzetti who had to go three sets against Garcia, three sets against Paolini. She just was out of gas in the final of Begui. No disrespect to her, but you could just tell she just didn't have the legs under her to extend rallies against the power tennis Begu offered from the baseline, but credit to Begu for taking advantage of that fact. And again, you look for Bronzetti. That was her first career WTA Tour final and obviously she's going to reap the benefits of that fact in her ranking. So fun week of tennis in Palermo. I apologize. I didn't spend quite as long on that one. I just didn't wasn't able to watch as much of it as I would have liked, uh, particularly given I did try to get some sleep this weekend so that I could reset as I am so fortunate to be here in Santa Monica still to be on the call for our friends at Tennis Channel. You can follow all of the coverage on T2 if you're looking for my voice. Of course, so many great events on the calendar this week. Atlanta starting that North American hardcourt summer. We've also got action, I believe, in Prague on the WTA Tour. Certainly, as we look across the board, let's see what we have on the board this week. We've got uh, Stad is in the books. We've got Umag, there it is, uh, on the men's side, Prague, on the women's side, Kitzbühel also in the works. We've got Warsaw, Poland, new event there, excited for that, as well as Atlanta. Should be a lot of fun, of course. We'll break it all down, try to have some guests on this week, because I know a lot of fun faces, Steve Weissman, Tracy Austin, etc., are all going to be popping in to the Tennis Channel studio. I'll do my best to try to charm them onto this podcast as we break down another week of the Professional Tennis this world but of course if you've missed anything and need to catch up go to our website crackrackets.com of course twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at crackrackets you want to message me directly i'm at al gruskin like rate subscribe review to this show crack interviews podcast and the great shot podcast to ensure you don't miss out on anything of course a shout out as always to our super producer daniel westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in day out shout out as well to our friends at tennis point remember it's tennis point.com the promo code is cr15 with all that said for our super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone